Hey ladies, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Trisha Stefankowitz, registered dietitian nutritionist. So today on our show, I wanted to explore the real consequences of yo-yo dieting. We are going to talk about five consequences, and we're also going to talk about some solutions to those consequences. Right now, it's when we're recording, this episode will air, I think in September or right at the beginning of September. And I know a lot of you, myself included, are kind of getting to this place that I'm thinking about what I want to do different in the next couple months, um, you know, what my new focus is going to be on. And so I felt like the timing of this would be really appropriate. We've talked about um, on previous episodes, this um, idea of women and muscle mass and metabolism. And so I realized that we never really talked about the consequences of yo-yo dieting, even though we talked about what actually happens to our bodies um, as a baseline in that episode. If you want to know more information about kind of normal metabolism, that episode is um, 132. And I will put that in the show notes. The other reason why I wanted to talk about this is it, it occurred to me that we just hadn't done it. I, I am in the middle of writing an ebook about this whole idea of women metabolism and muscle mass in general and just behavior changes and things like that. And again, this was just something that I realized that I hadn't talked about. So at the end of the year, there's always these um, there's always these polls. And it's like, what do you want to achieve in the next year, like for your New Year's goals? And last year, and mostly every year, nearly two out of three adults in the U.S. plan to change their diet every way. So that's like 63% of the population. And it usually has to do with something that they're going to do in order to try to achieve weight loss. There is, there's a study that I'm going to quote in here too, or have some kind of information from. It's from the National Institutes of Health and I will, it's about weight maintenance. I'll put it up in the show notes, but roughly the statistics are that 90% of women or I'm sorry, people who lose a lot of weight eventually regain just about all of that weight. So it's not just women, it's women and men. A lot of times we talk about weight loss, but one of the things, especially in the diet world, that's never talked about is weight maintenance. There is a billion, with a B, a billion dollar, billions of dollars diet industry worldwide that promotes this idea of weight loss, weight loss, weight loss, and supplements and all these things that you can do to achieve weight loss. But there's not a lot of statistics and research that really supports why some people are able to maintain that weight over the long term and some people aren't. And it sounds like there's still a lot of um, research that needs to be done in that. So I just wanted to kind of talk about some of the things that do impact this idea of yo-yo dieting, because it isn't something that we've talked about. So when we talk about yo-yo dieting, what does that actually mean? Well, in other words, it's also called weight cycling. So you have this pattern of losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight. And for many women in particular, this is a pattern that we do throughout our entire life. I mean, especially if you have a mom that did yo-yo dieting or weight cycling, you know, they there's statistics that say that like kids and women in general 
or girls in general watch their their mom and if they have a mom who does that kids can start as early as like age five so say you're somebody who's now like almost 50 years old or 40 years old that's a long time that you've been doing some kind of weight cycling there's many there's many factors that come into all of this stuff when we talk about weight regain it's not just like oh I'm not dieting and exercising it's there's a lot of emotional parts to it there's behavioral parts physiological things that are happening in the body that makes it very easy to regain a lot of that weight so it's it's not surprising that so many people lose that lose the weight are able to even if they don't want to regain that weight I think one of the things that happens a lot of times with weight loss and especially with um, this idea of yo-yo dieting is that there's this implication that you that this is a short-term fix, right? So it's it's an implication that it's something that you're doing, but at some point in time, you're going to stop doing these particular behaviors. And so what ends up happening for a lot of people is that you may only do the behaviors until you achieve your goal. And then once you achieve the goal that you want in terms of your weight, then you stop doing the very things that got you there. So that's, that's, that's probably a lot of us, right? Myself included. And also you may notice that you have lost weight in the past. And now, even if you do the same things that you used to do, that used to always help you lose weight, you're not able to do it anymore. And it could be because you're doing it, you've done it so often. It could be because you're older, like there's just so many factors in that. And so that's why I wanted to talk about the consequences of what's happening to kind of explain it a little bit clearer, because I don't know that that's ever really something that is talked about. And and I think it breeds a lot of shame and fear about doing it. And also it breeds a lot of hopelessness of like, why should I even try? And so I wanted to dig deep to tell you what is happening in your body so that it can kind of take some of that off of you. And then also to promote you know, the behaviors that are going to get you to the goal and not to concentrate on the scale. Because, you know, I I say this all the time in here that diets don't work, diets don't work. But I don't know that I've ever really talked about why they don't work. And as somebody who I used to teach weight maintenance and weight loss classes for meal replacements. So, you know, I've I've done it too. I've, I've, I've even sold this idea. And so as I learn more, I want to obviously you know, change the way that I focus and practice too, because I don't think it's as simple as um, it's made it to be in terms of doing it in the long term. So the first consequence that we're going to talk about of yo-yo dieting or weight cycling is that you can regain more weight than you originally lost. So you could be someone who had a great weight loss. Of course, you're getting lots of support along the way. Oh, I lost weight, blah, blah, blah. But what what happens is, is a lot of times you regain a lot of that weight, if not all of that weight back. And I'm going to give you like some examples. And then like, in like a couple minutes, we're going to talk about the whole like, biggest loser um, challenge. And I think it's going to kind of tie things into, into they're, it's going to tie things together a little bit more neatly than what I'm telling you right now. So when you lose weight in general, you are going to lose both muscle and fat. So your body is composed of muscle cells and fat cells, right? And so BMI is not always a good indicator of 
your your like status in terms of what you what's really happening in your body because there's no real way in BMI to separate how much fat mass you have and how much muscle mass you have. The only way you would be able to do that is if you did something fancy called like hydrostatic weighing, which is like you are in water and they kind of tell you how much fat and how much um how much fat and how much muscle mass that you have. And I don't really know that that's like a real benefit to the normal person. So what happens is, is when you lose weight, you lose both. There's no way around it. You have to lose both because if you're losing weight, you can't pick where you're going to lose weight from and you can't pick how you're going to lose weight. You will lose it. And so what tends to happen is, is, is that most people, um, lose more muscle mass. And that's because, especially if you're somebody who's dieting over and over and over again, every time you go on a new diet, you're losing more and more and more muscle mass. So what tends to happen is, is that people are able to retain more fat than the muscle mass they lose. Because you're losing weight, you're putting yourself in a calorie deficit. So you're going to lose more weight. And again, over time, you're losing more and more muscle mass. And the whole muscle mass, like, again, if you want to refer to that episode in 132, it will tell you more about it. But like muscle mass is dependent on um, like genetics. It's dependent on on how much um, you're exercising. It's just dependent on so many things. Um, As you age, you lose muscle mass. So there's there's all these different things that, um, that come into play with that. But the more important thing that you know here is that when you lose weight, you lose both fat mass and you lose muscle mass. And the more often that you do that, the more muscle mass that you tend to lose and the more fat mass that most people tend to retain. And as you gain weight back, you usually don't gain weight back as muscle mass because you have to work for that. You have to um, exercise and make sure that you're eating enough protein. And so fat mass tends to be the thing that you are gaining when you gain weight. You're having more of that. So over time, if you're doing yo-yo dieting, you may you may feel like you weigh the same amount, but your body might look different because you may have less muscle mass and more fat mass, even if you weigh the same amount, okay? Another reason the scale doesn't always tell you what's going on. It won't tell you the amount of muscle mass and the amount of fat mass that you have on. So just so you understand that. Now, some ways when you're losing weight, before I get on to the next thing, that you're able to maintain some of that muscle mass is to make sure that you're eating enough protein so that you can preserve muscle mass. With women in general, I see on the women that I um, that I counsel, and even myself, I'll notice periods where I'm not eating that much I'm not eating that much protein. I'm just eating like more carbs and you do need more carbs. You know, you need carbs, but you also need protein too. So it's just making sure that you're eating enough protein if you're in this weight loss cycle. So you're eating protein at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm not talking about going crazy with protein. I'm talking about just eating enough. If you're doing really heavy lifting, you may need more. There is lots of complications of having too much protein, but if you're in a weight loss period, also not consuming enough protein um, can also 
break down that muscle mass even further. So that's the first consequence is that there's going to be that shift that you're going to lose both muscle and fat. Okay. Just to know that. The second thing is, is that when you lose weight, you have a change in your hunger and appetite hormones. So we've talked about this before, and I'm just going to talk about this briefly, but you have a change, you have hormones that are in your body, these hunger hormones, there's leptin and ghrelin, and you may hear about them a lot. So basically leptin suppresses your appetite and ghrelin like kind of triggers your brain that it's time to eat. That's your hunger hormone. And so when you gain and you lose weight, you have variations that happen in these appetite and hunger hormones. And again, we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. The third consequence is, is that when you start to gain the weight back, you gain it back as fat mass, right? So it usually comes back as fat mass because over time, doing the dieting as much as you're doing it, you tend to lose muscle mass, especially if you don't replace what you've lost. And then it's easier to gain it back in mass as fat. And you'll notice that, and you may notice it even as you get older, there's physiological changes that happen that, I mean, I noticed this for myself for sure that like prior to having my baby, I would always gain weight in my hips and thighs. But now, now, especially since I've had my son, the weight comes right into my, my abdomen. And so you might be somebody that notices that too. You have that abdominal like fat mass that you maybe never had before. And the problem with that is, is that it increases your risk of different diseases. Heart disease is one of the big ones. And that's because when you gain that weight back and you gain it in that particular area, you're more at risk for cardiac disease because you have other things going on that may increase your risk of diabetes. It may increase your overall BMI. Again, BMI in this context, we're not looking at it in terms of um, weight. We're looking at it in terms of how it's used in the medical literature as, as a risk factor. In turn, you may have an increased risk of blood pressure, increased risk of um, cholesterol, and all of these things are going to increase your risk of heart disease. And also having this like impact on dieting has this um, change in your gut mi- microbiome. So especially if you're somebody who's doing a fad diet and you're taking out different food groups and you're keeping it out for a while, you may notice that your, your gut microbiome, so your GI tract is maybe not feeling like it did before. You may be at more risk for, um, for getting sick. You may be more at risk for just your gut not feeling that great. There is so much new research. It's so exciting about the impact of the things that you feed yourself, in particular your gut and brain health and just overall impact on your health. And so I'm not sure that we know at this particular time what would happen with your gut microbiome, but we know that there's probably a change in it. Um, especially whatever it is, if you're not eating like lots of variety of foods and you're just kind of eating the same things that it's going to have some impact on you. Now, this is where it kind of gets interesting. So the fourth consequence 
is that there's a change in your metabolism that happens when you have this change in your body composition. So remember we talked about that you will have a change in your body metabolism or you could that you may weigh the same amount. Your BMI might be the same amount. But you may look and feel differently because you may have a higher percentage of fat mass in comparison to the amount of muscle mass that you have. So this, I think, is easiest to understand because I feel like right now I'm just spewing words at you and it's probably like a little bit harder to follow. Um, But I'll use this example with you because I think it makes it the most, I don't know, I, I think it just makes it the most understandable. So in The Biggest Loser, we all probably know what that show is, right? It's these people that go on these extreme diets. They have so much support to help them. And the goal is to lose the, I guess, the highest amount of weight. After The Biggest Loser, what they started seeing was a lot of the people who had lost this dramatic weight loss were unable to keep it off for the long term. And again, nobody, I think like they're so, most of the studies are focused on weight loss. And now I believe more of the studies are focused on weight maintenance. So there's some information that they were able to glean from this study. So the Journal of Obesity, um, I'm quoting from, um, the source that I'm quoting for is in the show notes. So they basically took these contestants, the 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 ones that they studied were small. They're, the the people that they had was a very small amount, so one limitation here. So there was 14 contestants, and of those 14 contestants, they had an average weight loss of 100 pounds, which is a lot. The amount of weight that they lost was 100 pounds over a 30-week period. So if you were to look at that, and again, this, you know, I think most weight loss is promoted to be one to two pounds a week. So they lost a lot of weight really fast, a hundred pounds over a 30 week period. So what they did was that's so interesting is that in this study, they followed those 14 contestants for six years. And what they found is that most of those people regained most or all of the weight that they had originally lost which is so depressing and so sad. And what they found is the why, and this is what you want to probably know, right? This is what I wanted to know. So the why here is that there are so many things happening with this weight loss and because it happened so dramatically that their metabolism was suppressed. So what they found is that when we talked about these hunger, these hunger hormones that they had, what they found is that the normal hormones that suppress appetite were were not were not doing its job. So these people were constantly hungry all of the time because they had these hormonal changes. And what they found is is that even after those six year period, those those hormone levels never recovered to where they were before they actually ever lost the weight. So it continued to hinder them from like, it's very hard. So it was like bigger than them, right? They're constantly hungry. And one of the other things that they found was that their thyroid 
had slowed down um, from that dramatic weight loss. So not only was their leptin decreased, but their thyroid was also slowed down. And so between the two of them, what was happening is, is that they're feeling constantly hungry, but they're not, their metabolism is slowed. So even if they're eating the same amount, they're still gaining weight because they're feeling constantly hungry, but their metabolism um, just can't, their metabolism is just very slow. And so for both of those things, for their hunger hormone and their um, thyroid, neither of them recovered six years later to what they were pre-weight loss. So they had the, the more weight loss they had, the slower their metabolism was, even though they were eating less food. So that's pretty horrible, right? Can you imagine doing all that, losing all that weight, putting all that time into it? And I think some studies I saw, and I can't remember, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, they had done studies of like, you know, like how many calories some of these individuals were really eating today in order to maintain the weight that they were. And it was so minimal because their body just didn't need it anymore because of this um, adjustment that they had in their hunger hormones and, and how slow their metabolism had become. Well, there's one exception though, when it comes to these, um, in terms of weight loss when it comes to these hunger hormones. So what they found is a couple of years ago, I had done, um, I had gone to a conference of an obesity expert who was doing, he was a surgeon, he was a weight loss surgeon. And at the time, which I suspect is still true, um, the gastric sleeve was on the newer side. And what they saw is, is so with most weight loss, there's not really any, there, there's these gradual like, like, um, abnormalities in these like hunger hormones that you have but what they thought is is that there was an improvement in the in the hunger hormones when people had the gastric sleeve so for some of the older um some of the older weight loss surgeries it wasn't really impacting that those two hunger hormones or hunger appetite suppressant appetite hunger um, hormones but for whatever reason whatever the mechanism is for some reason with the gastric sleeve they felt like that there were some like positive changes in um in those hormones so people were able to maintain that feeling of being satiated for a longer period of time their appetite was suppressed they weren't feeling constantly hungry so when you think about that, like that leads to the fourth consequence here, which is, or maybe it's the fifth one, one two, three, oh, maybe, I don't know, but basically, yeah, one, two, three, four, five. Okay. So this is the fifth one. So the last consequence would be this idea that you're doing this dieting again, and there's some psychological factors, right? So you feel like here I am again, I failed. I put all this work into it and yet I failed. I was unable to maintain this weight loss for the long term. And it really can make you feel hopeless, you know, like I did all these things and now I have to start all over again. And so, you know, I, I think like that's why it's important to kind of talk about this because you're not the only one that's going through this. If if two out of three people every every year as we head into the new year are making some kind of change that's going to help them lose weight, then you're not the only one that's doing this. You're not the only one who's experienced this. And so let's normalize it and let's figure out what we can do to help you for the long term. So what I would say 
with all this data that you have, how abysmal it is, is that I would focus on what your behaviors are, right? No one knows the impact of yo-yo dieting over the long term, but they suspect that it's going to depend on the amount of the amount of weight that you've gained and lost and how dramatic that weight loss is. And we know that it's more important for you to be able to maintain your weight than it is to be able to gain it and lose it and gain it and lose it. So the goal here is what can you do at this particular time to start doing some behaviors that you can you know, at least maintain your weight. And then over time, if weight loss is a goal for you to be able to do that. And the thing why I say focusing on the behaviors, because as long as you're doing the behavior and you're reaping the benefits of that behavior, however that looks like for you, that could be increased muscle mass. That could be, it helps, you know, it helps emotional eating. It could be that it makes you feel good and gives you more energy All of those things are the most important thing as opposed to what the weight on the scale says. So some of the behaviors that I'm thinking about when I'm talk, when I'm when I'm thinking about what are some things that that are really going to help you in terms of maintaining your weight where you are now and then over time losing weight would be you know, making sure that you're staying hydrated, eating fruits and veggies with meal, making sure that you get enough adequate protein, making sure that you're having some kind of a consistent exercise routine. All of these things that I'm going to talk about are meant to be things that are longer term. They're not things that are meant to be like short term and then you stop. And by the way, you're not going to be able to probably do all of these things all the time anyway. And so when I talk about behaviors, I'm really talking about looking at what you're doing right now and trying to figure out if there's something new that you can add to it. Not all the behaviors are going to work for you. Not all the behaviors are going to be appropriate for you. I'm just giving you a list of some things that may work for you and are some things that you may be able to add to what you're already doing to get the health goals that you desire. Not everybody wants to lose weight, but I think most people want to have this idea that they feel good and that they feel like they are doing something good for their body. Other behaviors could be getting adequate sleep, less TV. We know that people who watch more TV tend to be, um, tend to weigh more, not focusing on BMI because we've talked about BMI Um, A lot of people, when they start to lose weight, their weight loss may not be realistic for that particular person at that particular time because it might be based off of BMI. What we know is, and what we've talked about on this episode, is that BMI doesn't account for your muscle and fat mass, like what it looks like in your body. So what I would say is don't use that BMI as the goal standard of what you think you need to weigh. Just start doing the behaviors and figure out along the way where it is you feel comfortable and makes you feel your best. And then that can be, you know, the weight that's realistic for you. And that's the whole other thing is like whatever it is that your health goal is, set something realistic that's a goal that you can maintain. If losing weight is your goal, which it is for probably most women listening to this episode, like really look at what you can do that you can maintain your weight for the long term. And remember, like it's not something that you want to do short term so that you find yourself in this position again. You know, I understand that long term sucks because 
I think there's this idea that we need to feel and stay motivated for the entire time. And if it takes you a year or two years or three years or five years, like how the fuck are you going to be able to do that? Excuse my French. But I think if you're just looking at it as like, this is my life and this is what I need to do is my health and this is forever, then that's a way that that you're just not relying on motivation. You're relying on your cues and the behaviors to get you to where you want to be because you're feeling the benefit of those. And when it comes to weight loss, I know a lot of people are doing this whole thing that they try to lose weight really fast, but healthy weight loss recommendations are anywhere from one to two pounds per week. And, you know, really, really focusing on the trend and not the weekly weight goal, because There will be times when you're holding on some more weight. If you're in menopause, you could be holding on some more weight, but you could be having a change in body composition. Um, So there's just so many variables, but looking at it as a trend over time, not not every week, because I think if you're doing every week, it's hard to really take into account what's the what the trend is, and that's going to be more important. We had talked about last week a lot of using self-monitoring techniques, and you can get more into that episode from last week, but that would just basically be like, how are you going to monitor your behaviors? Are you writing them and scheduling them in the calendar for each week? Are you ahead of time trying to figure out when you're going to exercise and if you're going to meal prep? Those kinds of things, whatever is appropriate for you because everybody does something differently. Some other behaviors would be, you know, eating your meals at home. They're going to be probably more um, satisfaction in terms of from a calorie standpoint, but also from a nutrient perspective as well. Eating breakfast consistently, we know, is a behavior that's really helpful too. And so the psychological behaviors too is like just kind of being okay with having times that are really hard and not feeling like you have to rely on motivation because motivation isn't going to last. It's not going to last for the like the time that it's going to take you to get to your goal. And that's okay. That's the way it is. But it's, I don't want you to become discouraged by it because it's not normal. I don't believe to have motivation for all that time and to have very rigid standards that you need to be perfect because most people that have ever attained the goal that you want to achieve will say like, I just kept doing it and it didn't matter if it was perfect. I just kept doing it. I just kept moving forward. I let go of the standards. I just keep kept going. And that's what I would say for you is, you know, figure out what behavior it is you're doing now. And once you feel like you've gotten pretty good at that behavior, then move on to the next behavior. Once you feel like you've gotten a little bit better with that behavior, move on to the next behavior. And then over time, you're going to see the progress of what it is and knowing what it is you want to achieve. And that, you know, it's not something, this is a lifestyle change. It's not something that's meant to be done short term that you can stop once your goal is met because I suspect you're going to have new goals along the way anyway. And so if you look at it as something that you do forever, then I think it just, I don't know, I think it kind of takes that pressure off that you have to do, that you have to achieve such big things over a short amount of time. And I think also it allows your hormones to 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 have, to be able to be more like, 
not have that extreme and that change in your hormones. So that also, hopefully it won't impact your metabolism the same way as if you're having these really drastic weight changes. And so, you know, doing it over a pro, like a prolonged longer period of time and looking at it as a lifestyle change won't have that same increase, decrease, increase, decrease in the hormone fluctuations that you're having that you may have if you're constantly on this yo-yo dieting bandwagon. <clears throat> a lot of the research <coughs> much of the research when it comes to weight loss and weight maintenance really focuses on and like having some support to help you with these positive behaviors. And so I would also immerse yourself with people who are kind of doing the same things that you're doing and, you know, whether that's books or podcasts or a supportive community, something to kind of help you keep that momentum going because once you, it's, it's so hard to be able to do that on your own. And so having that support of others will be a way that you can continue to do this over the long term. As always, with any change that you're making, I would say just start where you're at right now. Don't go crazy trying to do a whole bunch of drastic behaviors that you may not be able to do for the long term. And it's just taking one step forward today that will get you better and more consistent at whatever it is you're trying to work on right now. And then over time, working on new behaviors becoming consistent with them, that over time is going to get you to where you want to be. So I, I, I really want to hear if you guys have any feedback on this topic. Um, you can email me at info at trishard.com or find me on Instagram at whole health and power. I wanted to know what kind of, what, if what you're thinking about any of this stuff, it's really interesting um, to get your feedback as well. Um, if you, If you found value in this podcast, please head on over to wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, or subscribe, or even share this episode with someone who you believe would benefit from this information. This is how this whole mission of normalizing health, wellness, and self-care to women um, becomes possible. So you know, I want you just to start where you're at today, practice that behavior. And then over time, it will lead you in the direction that you want to where you want to be. As always, have a great week. And I look forward to seeing you back here next week.